Well, good morning. Um, it's really interesting to come to this this reading. Um, what are we? Just two two weeks removed from a, a six week sermon series on grace, um, and here we are at the great commandment. So go and do it, and that's um, that would be law. And so how how are we going to work this out? Because this is you know obviously one of the great foundational. Um, verses of our scriptures, and one of the great verses that, you know, you saw it today, it ties together the Old Testament very well, Deuteronomy, with the New Testament, here's Jesus saying, this commandment in the Old Testament, and everything that goes with it, and everything that comes after it, that stays, it's not going anywhere, and so we, um, we kind of come to this as, as a, in an interesting place, having spent a few weeks on grace, and I think that's going to be really helpful for us, um, so let's let's just let's go. We're going to be in Mark. Um, I know Carrie will maybe or maybe not pull it up on the screen, um, but you probably have a Bible somewhere if it's either with you or on your smartphone or your iPad or, or whatever you kids are using these days. You can pull that up, and um, and we'll take a look at it. We're in Mark chapter twelve. Um, verse 28. Mark 12, verse 28. And while you're looking for it, um, we're gonna, I'll, I'll get you set up. What, what are we going to do? Well, there's this, this guy in this chapter. Um, he's referred to as a scribe. Um, and what I want to do is look at this, this verse. We, we can really get um, tied up, and in a good way, in the great commandment. But I want you to look at this scribe and see who he is when he begins and who he is when this passage is over and how that might affect you. Where do you see yourself in that? And so what's going on? Well, Jesus is in Jerusalem. If you remember how he got there, he did um, this great symbolic act. And he, he picked up a, a donkey on the way. And he rode into the city on a donkey with palms raising in this great symbolic, um, symbolic act of saying, look at me, I'm the Messiah. Because it was known and understood that that's how the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem. So he comes in with great fanfare. One of the first things he does is he heads to the temple. And if you remember what he sees when he gets there, this place that's supposed to be a, a house of worship for God has been turned into a, pl- a den of robbers and thieves is what he calls it. A den of robbers and thieves. And so Jesus looks around this temple in this great building of worship um, and he sees that these acts of worship, because we love God, have been turned into acts of um, of trying to do the right thing so that God will love us, trying to earn God's love. And so you have to do it correctly and do it rightly. And not only that, but you can buy your pigeons to be sacrificed or your rams, your goats. You can buy those right there at the temple. And so people are making a lot of money off of this business of trying to make God happy. You see that? And so Jesus goes to the temple and he sees this going on. And people um, basically using other people's fears of God's retribution to make money for themselves. And he, he's sick of it. And so, so we see this, um, I'll go on a limb and call it this is righteous anger in Jesus, um, this, this emotional anger. And, of course, he doesn't sin in his anger, as Paul commands us. And, and he takes these, these money-changing tables and he flips them over and he, he drives these people out with a whip. And needless to say, at this point, the Jewish establishment is not too happy with what Jesus is doing. And on the way, interestingly enough, um, after he leaves the temple, he points to the fig tree that he had cursed 
just a few days before, and he says, look at it, it's dying. That fig tree is dying, and that's what's happening to the scribes and to the Pharisees of Jerusalem. Now, if you were a scribe or a Pharisee, you would probably be not particularly pleased at this point. He's, he's saying, you've lost it. You've lost it. God is going to take his promises that he's given to you, and he's going to give them to somebody else, is what Jesus says. And they're not very happy. And so they decide they need to get him. But the problem is, the people like Jesus. You know, the everyday people, they see him coming in and upsetting things and upsetting the order of things, and they like that, and they're excited. So, so the, these leaders are in a dilemma. We can't just go get him because then everybody else is going to be really upset with us. And so they, they, they hatch this plan. They're, we're going to ask him a bunch of questions. We're going to trap him. He's going to say something he's not supposed to say. Um, then we'll get him arrested, and that will take care of it. And so that's, we're at the end of that right now. And so they, they come up with these, um, John had a great word uh, in the earlier service, these inane questions, just these ridiculous questions. And they say, yeah, Jesus, um, so should we pay taxes? And Jesus says, well, yeah. And he holds up a coin and says, give me a coin. And he shows him. And on this coin is Caesar's face. And he says, see that? That's Caesar's face. That's his. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. They're pretty wowed by that answer, as am I. That was a good one. And so, um, so those guys leave, and this next group comes in. And I, you can just picture them. They're coming at Jesus from every angle with all these crazy questions. And the Sadducees come, and they say, okay, so let's say there's this lady, and her husband dies, and she remarries. Then that husband dies, and she remarries again. And then that husband dies, and she remarries. And, and there's no compassion for this lady who loses like seven husbands, by the way. The question is, who is she married to in the next life? Who's her real husband in the resurrection? It's an interesting question. I can't say that I know the answer to that one. But th- that's not the point. They're trying to get him. They're trying to trap him. And he's not going to fall for that. And he says, he's basically thinking, this question means nothing. It means nothing to you people. It means nothing to the everyday guy walking on the street. And so um, Jesus, again, he gives a great answer, and he says, well, you're not going to have to worry about that when you get to heaven. You don't have to worry about it. So that's the this, this scene, if you will. Maybe this, um, I picture this, this, these crowds around Jesus who are adoring him, and these, these sort of like flash attacks from, from any angle. He never knows where they're coming from with these crazy questions, and they're trying to trap him. And there's this guy, our friend in, in our passage today, this scribe. And he is, I picture him sitting kind of on the outskirts. He's not, you know, he's not really ready to go get Jesus, but he's sitting and listening. And a scribe would be a lawyer type, very smart, very learned. Um, maybe, you know, I can see him with bifocals or something. And he's, he's li- listening and thinking, and he says, well, how about this one? And he has a good question. Which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? There are all these laws, all these things that we as leaders are telling the people they need to do if they want God to love them. Which one of these do we really need to pay attention to? Can't you... um, See yourself, perhaps, as the scribe, you know, this sort of this skeptic. You know, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, 
if you really are what the Bible says you are, answer me this one question. What's the most important thing I need to do with my life? What do I need to know about you to know that you're real? That's, that's what this scribe is getting at. Which is the most important commandment? Now, if I was Jesus, and thank goodness I'm not, but I would probably do something like this. I would learn this from my children. Which is the most important commandment? Oh, they're all very important. You should keep all of them. They're all in the Bible. That, that would be a great, easy, cop-out answer. Um, and I don't know what the scribe was looking for or what he was thinking. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but, but something happens. If you read this carefully, something happens to this man because Jesus gives an answer. He gives an answer, and the scribe is like something snaps in him. He's like, I get it. Like the light bulb comes on. Jesus gives this answer, and it's, it's amazing. And it basically has um, essentially three, three components. Um, and Jesus says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That is, um, we'll get to what that's from in just a second. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those three things. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, the first two of those are quoted from Deuteronomy, and we read that in the Old Testament. That passage we read in the Old Testament would have been known by every single Israelite who was old enough to memorize it. Every single one. So this scribe sitting here, when Jesus starts saying that, he knows it. I mean, he knows it like you know the Lord's Prayer, or even better than that. And so he's hearing something that he's probably said two or three times to himself every day for 40 years. Um, And the temptation is to just kind of say, yeah, I've heard that before. Um, But he doesn't. There's something when Jesus says these words that his eyes light up. And so when Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, the scribe is thinking, There's one God. The Lord is one. And all of these things in my life that I've been putting before God are idols. They're false gods. It's false worship. And so whether it's making a lot of money or being really smart or being the best at my job, all these things that I'm elevating above my love for the Lord are idols. They are separating me and drawing me away from God. No matter how good or how great they may seem, the Lord, my God, the Lord is one. All of these things are only because of Him. I'm nothing without Him. It's that kind of light bulb turning on. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is a total love of God. This isn't just a, well, I'm going to love the Lord my God by doing the right things when I go to Sabbath, by doing the right things when I go to church, by going to enough Bible studies or being holy enough. I'm not going to, I can't compartmentalize my life anymore. This is total and complete. Every single thing, every single fiber of my being is called to love the Lord my God, the one God. And so that means when I go to work, when I come home to play with my kids, when I'm with my wife and my family and my neighbors, 
the first and primary thing on my mind and my heart and my soul and my strength is to be God. That's what he's realizing. And Jesus also quotes from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And perhaps the scribe remembered the parable from Jesus that talked about, he answered the great question. Maybe it's the same scribe, actually. In Luke's gospel, the scribe asked Jesus, um, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You want me to love my neighbor? Well, who is he, Jesus? And who is, who is the scribe's neighbor? Well, it's, it's everybody. It's his arch enemy, the Samaritan over there who's dying on the side of the road. That's his neighbor. And he's realizing this. Who is your neighbor? It's not, it's not the guy who lives next to you. I mean, it is him, but he's easy to love, isn't he? Maybe not. But it's the guy that doesn't look like you or think like you or talk like you. The woman who drives you crazy, those people are your neighbors. The people of Somerville who have no homes and no food, these are our neighbors, friends. The scribe is sitting there, wow, this is a total and complete transformation, what he's saying. This doesn't fit into my box of, of doing the right thing and saying the right thing and worshiping the right way. This is, this is blowing my mind. And you can see it. You can see it in his response. He, um, you know, if you go on, verse 33, he's almost like a giddy little child who kind of who gets it. And he says, he says, yes, teacher, verse 32, teacher, you're right. And Jesus is like, I know, I'm God. <laughs> you're right. And that is so interesting. He asked Jesus a question to get an answer, and then he affirmed, he says, oh, yeah, that's the right answer. But, but he's, he gets it. You're right. And then he says the same thing again. And Jesus is like, I, I just said that, right? But he says, you know, I have to love him. With all of my heart, because he's one God. And I have to love my neighbors myself, because God loves me. And, and all of these things, and this is so key, look at these. All of these things are much more important than the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So much more important than the way um, we try to live like religious people. That loving God completely and totally, and knowing that he is the one God... And because of that, loving your neighbor as yourself, all of those things are so much more important than what we, how we do things here on Sunday morning or how you read your Bible or how you even pray. If you're doing those things to somehow um, earn favor with God, you're, total, you're totally missing the point. You're the scribe when the story started. But to know him fully and totally. And so when you look at this world and this community, you see it through the eyes of Jesus. That's the calling. That's our calling as Christians. And this scribe, he, he gets it. And he's so excited. And, and he proclaims it to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, The kingdom of heaven is very near to you. You're not far from the kingdom of God. This guy gets it. He gets it. So do we get it? Do we get it? Because um, 
Well, so they're probably, you know, if, if you went around the country to churches that were preaching on this text this morning, and they're everywhere, lots of churches are preaching on this text, you very likely would get a sermon that concludes like this. You've got to love God better. You've got to love him better. You're not loving him enough. You've got to love him better. How's that going to leave you feeling? Maybe a little inspired, maybe not so much. But you'll walk out of those doors and you're like, I'm going to love him better, darn it, and I'm going to read my Bible every day and I'm going to pray really hard every day and, and say just the right words and that's going to make me love him better. And it's not going to make you love him better. It's not going to do it. There are things that, that are good to be doing and if you get into them, the more you do them, there's a good chance that, um, that eventually God might swell that up in you. But if you're trying to complete a, a checklist of ways I can love God better, maybe you go home and make a list. Ways I can love God better. And you write them all down and you scratch them off. And when you're done, are you going to love him better? Probably not. And so we've got to remember the very source of all of this is who God is. Who God is. And I think that's what the scribe was, was realizing. He was um, living a life with these Pharisees. And, and, and their whole thing was to follow the rules. Do exactly the right things. Pray in the right way. Worship in the right matter. And so, so what these leaders were picturing is what we do, what we do is more important than who God is. What we do is more important than who God is. That's the framework of these Jewish leaders. And that is so often the framework that we have. We don't think of it that way, but that's, we put that burden on ourselves that what we do is somehow more important and more effective and more glorious than Jesus dying on the cross. And that is not true. And so what the scribe is seeing is what I do, the things that, that I'm supposed to do are nowhere near as important as who God is. They're nowhere near as important as what God has done for me. God calls me to love him with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my mind. And the only way that I can possibly even begin to do that is to realize that he has already loved me with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind with every last ounce of his dying strength. It's only when you know that, how much God loves you, and reflect on that day in and day out, only then will you be able to love him. Only then will you be able to love your neighbor? Only then will you be able to love yourself. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us this great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our strength, all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our soul. And the second one, to love our neighbors as ourselves. As our prayer book says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
Heavenly Father, help us to realize in our hearts, day in and day out, that even these great commandments depend upon you and what you've done for us. So we give you thanks for the glory and the power and the humility and the redemption of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us ever deeper into his love. And that by remembering how much he loves us, you would help us to love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.